The following message by Pastor Spencer is brought to you by Together in Christ. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, this uh, last Sunday of the decade, so it's, it's coming to an end. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the... Um, story about Jesus being presented in the temple and uh, Simeon's experience of knowing Jesus Christ. So we'll begin reading in verse 22. This is right after Jesus has been born. He's a young babe, a young child, about a month old, a little older than a month. And so we begin reading in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up, referring to Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together and ask God to open up his word today to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we've already sung and requested, we ask that you would speak to us. We really don't care to hear the voice of any man or any man's opinion. We wish to see Jesus. And so we ask that you would open up the text to us that the Holy Spirit would be in our midst. And Father, we as your children, as a spiritual family, would hear your voice to us today. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, I suppose everyone's Christmas went well. Everything went well. Um, Everyone's tired, as as our brother pointed out. Ohio State's tired as well, aren't they? And um, I'm not from here, so I don't have a, a... I don't have anything to uh, gain or lose by saying that. Um, I guess I have to live here now, though. That's a problem. Um, So uh, we've we've enjoyed a good time together, haven't we? A time with family and friends. 
Um, and when we celebrate Christmas, it's celebrated as a, as a time of joy and wonder. We were able to go visit the Toledo Zoo um, and see the lights of Christmas. And it's, it's beautiful, magical to see all the children and the families walking around and, and enjoying the lights of Christmas and to, to see the, the wonderful joy that it does bring people. But another thing that Christmas does is it also can be one of the hardest times for people, can't it? I mean, I remember my, my father, um, he would talk about his grandfather, his grandpa, my great-grandfather. He loved his grandfather. Uh, they were buddies. My dad still talks fondly about him today. I never got to meet him. But his time with his grandpa came to an end when grandpa was found dead on Christmas Day. And for many of you, you know that Christmas is a time of joy, but it can also be a time of deep pain. A time whenever we think about um, those who, who are gone now, the empty chair. We think about families divided, broken homes, friendships that used to exist that no longer are there. Christmas can be a reminder that we live in a world where everything is not the way it should be. The world is broken. We are broken if we're honest, aren't we? We are not the people we should be. And so is there any comfort that we can draw from at the end of an exhausting Christmas time? And this is where I want to dive into this passage because I think it's in this passage that we'll see something like this, that this lowly child that we're going to read about today is God's salvation for all peoples and the only comfort for us in life and in death. Christmas is about comfort, isn't it? Tidings of comfort and joy. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Our story picks up here in verse 22. It seems that Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus have been staying in Bethlehem for a bit. As we turn our attention to verse 22, Jesus is now around 40 days old. So he's about a month and a half old. He's not too big yet, is he? Uh, Joseph and Mary, you can imagine, being a young, uh, young couple, are, are trying to adjust to life with a baby. Now, that can be difficult, and I would say it would probably be difficult even whenever your child is perfect. Um, there's still things for us as sinners to adjust to when it comes to an infant. And so they're trying to, to get their lives to figure out what they're going to do now, now that Mary has had this baby. And you can imagine the calm that started to come down over them after the exciting night that happened that first night whenever Jesus was born and the angels came and appeared to the shepherds and brought a crowd to see Jesus. Well, all the excitement, all the glitz, all that glamour that happened there at, at that time has died down and it's been 40 days and it's time to go to Jerusalem. There were a few things they needed to do in Jerusalem. You can see these in verses 22 and two through 24. First of all, Mary herself needed to be ceremonially purified. Now, this was a, a ceremony that the Jews did. It was commanded by God in Leviticus chapter 12, that when a woman gave birth, she was regarded as unclean 
impure, ceremonially speaking, for a certain time. And for a male, it was 40 days. This was to remind the Jews that they, like all people, are born sinful and corrupt. And it's only the grace of God through the ceremony being pictured in the temple, but ultimately through the grace of God that would come in Jesus Christ, that we are cleansed from our sin. Their cleansing was only to be found in God. And so Mary needed to go and offer a sacrifice at the temple to fulfill this ceremony on this day. Secondly, the baby Jesus, as we are told, was Mary's firstborn son. And if you remember the story of the Exodus, or you remember the story with the blood, if you've ever seen Charlton Heston, right, in the Ten Commandments, the blood above the, the door and everything. Well, the firstborn, right, belonged to God in a special way. And so Jesus was required, according to the law, to be redeemed for five shekels. Every firstborn male was holy to the Lord, consecrated to his service. It's very interesting if you were to look at the, the phrase there in verse 23, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. The phrase holy to the Lord is the same phrase, or excuse me, shall be called holy is the same phrase that Mary was told by the angel that this baby will be called holy. Only Jesus isn't just holy ceremonially. He's holy because he's born of the Holy Spirit. He's the son of God. And so they want to bring him and they need to do this to consecrate Jesus, the firstborn son, to the service of God. So the family gets their stuff together, whatever few things they may have had, and makes the short trip from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It's only about five miles, not that far, even at those times. And so they make the trip up to the big city of Jerusalem, right? Big city, the city which is the capital, the political center, the religious center, the economic center of Israel. This is where things are happening. This is where the who's who live, right, in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. It's interesting, as they near the city, right, whereas the angels had greeted Jesus on the night of his birth, there's no one here to greet Mary and Joseph and Jesus on their way to Jerusalem. No one to greet Jesus, at least this time. As they arrive in Jerusalem and the capital, no one notices the family. There's no welcome mat. There's no royal uh, carpet rolled out. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus was so perfect that he was so humble that whenever he came on the scene, no one noticed. You see, I often will joke myself that, tell my wife that I'm the humblest guy I know. And Jesus really was the humblest guy he knew. Only he never trumpeted that. Jesus was so perfect that whenever he showed up, no one noticed. No one paid attention. He's wearing the clothes of an ordinary poor child in Israel. This is the city of the great king, the city that David made famous, the city where King Herod, you'll remember that wicked King Herod who just happens to be one of Esau's descendants, reigns and has shown his power by all these towers and this, this amazing temple that he's built with all these walls and the soldiers. And Jesus shows up and no one notices the true king coming in to Jerusalem. 
Eventually they arrived at the temple and this was some building. I mean, if you thought Solomon's temple was something, you should have seen the one Herod built. It was massive, huge, great. But into this magnificent splendor, building full of splendor, walks this modest family. You can imagine the priests there in their garments, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the great religious leaders, the important people there, walking around, um, chatting with one another, maybe bickering with one another, maybe going about their self-righteous deeds, trying to show everyone else just how good they are. Right, Because we're, we're reminded of the picture of the Pharisee. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Well, in walks this family. Perhaps you could hear the sounds of animals about ready to be sacrificed or being sacrificed. And depending on what time of year you came into the temple, you might also see money changers, bankers there who were ready and willing to trade your currency for the right form of currency for a small fee, of course. Unlike the temple and the elite of Israel, Mary and Joseph are ordinary, normal-looking people. They weren't walking around with halos. If Mary and Joseph and Jesus had showed up at our church today, at this time, you would not have noticed them. You would have thought, oh, look, there's a baby. Oh, look at that young family. But they weren't walking around on, you know, on clouds and doing amazing things. Isn't that the way God always works, by the way? Through very ordinary, boring ways. He gives us a book, right? Now, there's other churches that like to add to that and think you've got to do a bunch of other things in order to really experience God, but God likes to work through ordinary things like words and preaching and people and water and bread and the cup. <clears throat> we are told they offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This was the alternative sacrifice which was allowed for those who couldn't afford the standard sacrifice. So, so Mary and Joseph, as you can tell, according to the passage, if you were to read this, you'll know that there were two forms of sacrifice you could offer. There was one if you had the money, and there was one if you didn't have the money. And Mary and Joseph pay the one that's the poorer one. Mary and Joseph aren't rich. They're normal, ordinary, blue-collar folks. And to all the other people, the month-old child Mary holds is ordinary, just like them. And if they do think there's a Messiah coming, there's no way that he's going to be born to a girl from the backwoods of Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Isn't it amazing that our God would choose to be born in a blue-collar family, an ordinary family? The Son of God has all the privileges and rights of being God, and yet he doesn't make use of his privileges but takes the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And he's doing all of this to save us from our sins. No one here seems to be welcoming Jesus. You know, they were, they were looking for somebody maybe to come to bring a golden age to make Israel great again in their minds. Is anyone here looking for Jesus? Well, no one was 
almost no one. We, we turn our attention then in verse 25 to one man, and later on we're told in verse 36 of a woman who were amongst the few that were looking for the true Christ. There's a small group of true believers left in Israel, people who were still waiting, anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ, Simeon and Anna being amongst them. In verse 25, we read about Simeon. He's righteous, he's devout. In other words, he loves God. He's not a phony. He really loves God. And, and, and he's waiting, anticipating, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. He's looking for the Christ. He's looking for the chosen one of God. You see, Simeon knows this. He knows that he's a sinner. And Simeon knows that he may look good on the outside, but he has not loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. He has not loved his neighbor as himself. Simeon knows I need someone to take away my sins. I need someone to do that. He needs to be pardoned. And he is persuaded that the God of Israel will send someone to save him, Simeon, from those sins. And we're told that the Holy Spirit had actually told Simeon that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died, the anointed one, God's chosen servant. And so on this same day, Simeon is led out by the Holy Spirit. He makes his way into the temple and he looks around the temple begins scanning. Now, I think it's quite likely that there were other families at the temple at this time, right? There were probably other families who had had babies on the same day that Jesus was born or around the same time, and they're bringing their babies, likewise, to do the same purification rite, the same consecration rite into the temple, just like Mary and Joseph. I wonder if he looked at certain families and thought, the Christ has to be right there. He's got to be there. You remember when Samuel was coming to pick David, right? And, and remember all the, the, the older brothers are brought before and, and Samuel is saying to himself, surely this is the one. And God says, nope. Surely this is the one. Nope. Is there any more? Well, yeah, there's the youngest one. And then God says, that's the one. The Holy Spirit is, is guiding him. Well, then Simeon looks over and he notices a small family and they have a month-old child. They don't look rich. They don't look famous. Simeon walks up to them. And somehow, we're not told how, somehow the Holy Spirit, in an extraordinary way, makes it known to Simeon, this is the Perhaps we can assume that Simeon walks over and you can imagine Mary and Joseph with their baby. You know, sometimes first-time parents are very guarding of their children, right? Um, they take good care of them in ways that once the second and the third come along, you just kind of, eh, take them. Um, but the first one, right, you really guard. Maybe Mary was holding the child. I think we can assume Simeon that he went up to Mary and asked, can I hold the baby? Of course. The child Jesus is placed in the arms of Simeon. Simeon keeps the baby bundled up. He looks at his face. He cradles him. He supports the head of this infant. 
Maybe he asks Mary, what's his name? And his parents reply with that rustic Galilean accent, his name is Jesus. He continues to look upon the face of the child. It has two eyes, just like you and I do. It has a nose, just like you and I do. He has a mouth. This is the Christ. This is the one we've waited for. The Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. Simeon is holding God. Right? There's one song I love, and it says, Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? You ever thought about that? Simeon is supporting the head of God. All the while, that baby is at the same time supporting Simeon by his divine power to uphold the head of the infant incarnate God. I wonder as he looks at this, at this child, I wonder if Simeon, who's a God-fearing man, I wonder if all these Old Testament scriptures started just popping in his head. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Or this one, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And as Simeon stands there, he holds double for all his sins. He's received so much goodness from God as he holds the infant Christ. Well, Simeon can only contain it for so long, so eventually in verse 28, as he's continuing to hold the child in his arms, supporting and holding and cradling the infant Christ, he blesses God and says, Lord, now, notice, not before, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now, as I hold this child, I could die in complete comfort right now. You can take me now, Lord. You have kept your word. Now, if someone was to come up to me and ask to hold my daughter, you could do that. But I would be surprised if you held my daughter and said, Lord, I could die now. Right? That's kind of weird. People don't do that. Simeon did that here. Lord, take me now. I can go anytime now. Why is that, Simeon? Why is it that you can die in complete comfort, peace, rest? This is the reason why Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. I am looking right now into the face of salvation. This child is your redemption. He is the one who's going to rescue us from our sins. He is your salvation that you have prepared. You have made ready in the presence of all peoples before the eyes of a watching world. I love it whenever, is it, is it Paul who, who in Acts says, these things were not done in a corner. 
They were done openly before the world. God has showed his salvation before the eyes of a watching world, not for Israel only, but for the Gentiles, for us pagans. He is light for revelation to the Gentiles. He is glory to your people Israel. Some great praise. Wow, this is, this is astonishing. I mean, people don't normally talk like this, do they? This past week, we had a Christmas Eve service here, and it was wonderful. We remembered the Lord's Supper together, and, and uh, we were reminded of what our God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But afterwards, uh, my family and I go home, and then I get a text message from an old friend And he tells me that apparently a man that I was acquainted with had unexpectedly died. Shocking. Dave was alive before, but now he's dead. There's now the empty pew, the empty chair. Another friend of mine was meditating on this man's death, and he said this, He's a godly older man, and he said this, death is the reality of life, and man's avoidance of that thought causes him to be continuously jamming it with life's noise. So when lightning strikes the guy next to us, there is not enough distraction in the world to silence it. Isn't that true? We all try to avoid death. We all try to to make believe that it it doesn't really hear. Think about even the words we use. I'm not saying this is necessarily sinful, but we use the phrase passed away as if it softens it. They didn't die, they just passed away. We try everything we can in this world to hide death from people. It's amazing. You meet people maybe my age or a little younger and they've never been to a funeral. They've never had to deal with that. Never seen a body in a coffin. A person who was once living, breathing, living in this world, and yet who now as they look at the body, it's lifeless. If you want comfort and you go to the world, the world is simply trying to make you stop being sad. It can't really comfort you, can it? I've done a few funerals. One of the most memorable was, was that right after the funeral, I remember the son stood up and um, kind of wanted to cheer everybody up. I don't think he was a believer. And he didn't want this to be a sad day, he said. And so at the very end, they played rock music. And then he told them, told the crowd that they were then going to go to a church where they would have games. This is death. Just trying to do whatever we can to jam that noise. Jam that so we don't have to think about this. Because you know what they realize? This world does not have comfort. There is no comfort in this world. This is a comfortless world we live in. The world just tries to numb the pain. The message of Christmas, however, is this. Comfort has come into the world. 
We live in a world that's not comfortable, that doesn't encourage us, that can't really meet our deepest longings and our needs. So what has happened? God has taken to himself our dirt, us, flesh, to console us and to save us from our sins. Christmas isn't about faking happiness and acting like the world is all okay now. Christmas is about a world in darkness and sin that is amazingly embraced by the Son of God. That's what Christmas is about. There's an old uh, document uh, from the Reformation, and and it asks this question, opening question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? It's a good question for you you and me to ask ourselves. What is your only comfort at the bottom of your life, at the bottom of your existence? What is your only comfort? What is the thing that gives you solace, that makes everything worth it at the end of the day? What is it whenever you and I are on our deathbeds It's going to bring us comfort? What is it? Is it going to be, well, I've got some good memories. I love memories, but that's not the ultimate comfort, is it? The answer to this old document is wonderful. That I am not my own but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Comfort. Comfort. That's, a, that's by the way, that's countercultural, isn't it? My only comfort is that I don't own myself. When all I'm told from sun up to sundown is that your body's your own. You belong to yourself. And our salvation is in the fact what? I don't belong to myself. But he has made me his own. Simeon is here preaching to us today. Lord, now let you are letting your servant depart in peace. Why, Simeon? Because I know the salvation of God. The comfort and the consolation of this world will not last, but Christ will last. The hands and feet of this child that he holds will be run through with nails. The eyes of this child that he looks at will weep with compassion over our misery. The heart of this child will beat with holy mercy and obedience to God in our behalf. The feet of this child will travel to and fro across the land of Israel, preaching good news of the forgiveness of our sins. The body of this child will be marred beyond compare. His back will be beaten and bruised. His face will be spit upon. His forehead will be pierced with thorns. But today, this child who came as a boy, died as a man, and died like a man, by the way, is seated at the right hand of God. This baby is the man seated at the right hand of God, raised from the dead, and he offers each and every one of us here the forgiveness of our sins. We've sung about the cross, and man, I could sing about that every Sunday. 
Because every Sunday we get together, we, we open the word up and what is Jesus doing? Well, at its core, what he's doing is this, proclaiming himself and forgiving us of our sins every week. And he shows us himself and he says, here I am, take me, I'm yours. You see, you can't be made right with God on your own. You need a mediator, you need him. And he is the only comfort that you'll ever find in this world or the next. Comfort is knowing that God has given us his son and we receive him by faith alone. He is the light of the world, the bread of life, the resurrection, and the life, isn't he? And that's our comfort. And as we think about Christmas, as we close here together, I want us to remember Christmas isn't simply about, you know, it's not just fantasy up here. It's the fact that God has come down to our, in a way that he's gotten dirt under his fingernails for us to redeem us. And he is the only hope that we need and the only hope that we will ever have. Amen. Let's pray together and ask God to bless his word to our hearts. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us this comfort through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that this child is our salvation, is our ransom, is our payment, is our life. We pray, Father, that as we've meditated upon this truth, that you would take your word and plant it deep within us, and that it would bear fruit in love to our neighbors and in gratitude to you for your great goodness to us. Bless us now for Christ's sake. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Spencer from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.